Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Maor Applebaum. If you're not familiar with him, he is a mastering engineer based out of Los Angeles. He's worked with producers such as Sylvia Massey, Mark Lewis, Jacob Hansen, Tu Madsen, and so many more. He's worked with artists like Rob Halford, Sepultura, Ingve Malmstein, and a ton more as well. And in this conversation, we have a really great chat about some of the challenges of working with clients and how you navigate communication with people so that you can make sure that you're giving people the best quality results and that everyone ultimately in the end is happy with the results that you're putting out. We also get into some really interesting conversation about remastering records and remastering classic records of legacy artists where people are so used to a certain sound with these records already. So, you know, how do you add something new to it to really enhance the quality of those sounds. So we definitely get into some of that. And Maor is also a very creative mastering engineer, and he has this great philosophy on his gear and how he uses it. So, of course, I have to ask him about, you know, his process and how he masters and how he incorporates creativity into the mastering process. So I think you're going to find this episode really fun, really interesting. Maor has got tons of great advice here. So let's just jump right into the episode. More Applebaum, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. Keeping busy. We're uh, very excited about uh, soon having the plugin of the oven being launched. So it's been a bit of hectic weeks lately working on that, working on other projects. Um, but yeah, everything is good. I'm, I'm totally happy. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to definitely get into uh, definitely some of your story and uh, definitely talking about the oven because I think it's such a cool plug-in that's coming out and I'm sure a lot of people will be curious to know what's involved with that. So to start off, maybe for people who aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of your story and your background on how you got into music, how you got to doing mastering and all the cool stuff that you're working on these days? Well, I'm, I'm a mastering engineer located in Los Angeles. Uh, I've been doing mastering for a lot of years, only mastering. But prior to that, like a lot of people, I was a musician, uh, had my own kind of bands and projects. Uh, in my case, I, I wouldn't say I was a musician that was making money off music back then. I was more of like it was a hobby that I really invested in. I really liked doing it. So I put a lot of time and effort and had, you know, invested in it um, and released some music and did shows. Um, later on in time, I grew fond more of the technical side of recording and engineering and mixing and all that. But as much as I was recording my own bands and mixing my own bands, and I, I found that my forte is actually mastering because um, I had a background in broadcasting and in DJing and in music journalism. So it gave me the, um, the perception of how things are when they're out. Like being a DJ, I could see how a song affects people listening to it. Mm -hmm. As a radio DJ as well, or club DJ as well, and then as a music journalist, uh, how the concept of a record is perceived as well. Um, and then combining that with the technical experience and knowledge, 
and the artistic approach, it just felt natural that I'll be doing mastering, which is kind of the buffer between the production and the listener. It's like the end step, the last creative and technical step before it's released to the world. Yeah, I love that. That's that's what got me. Of course, you know, on the way to that, I did a lot of other audio related uh, professions. If it's recording, if it's live, it's mixing, if it's mastering, if it's uh, uh, video, uh, audio for video or audio for installation or, you know, rehearsal, you know, live rehearsal audio and a bunch of that kind of stuff. Um, I came to America 15 years ago and I worked for producer Sylvia Massey. Um, I worked at her studio back then uh, called Radio Star Studio and I was part of the staff engineers. Did, you know, some recording, some assisting, some mixing, some tech work, some mastering, some just all around being in the studio as part of the staff. That's awesome. Uh, and then I moved to LA and I just focused on mastering. Very cool. So was your plan to always get into mastering and then like all of the other stuff that you talked about doing the mixing, recording, live sound, all that kind of stuff, was that just kind of like something to keep afloat and, and to just make a little bit of money to start off or while you were learning the process or did you kind of fall into mastering as a result of learning about all those other things? Well, I was a broadcasting engineer for a lot of years. That paid my bills very well. And then after work, I was doing the other stuff that I liked, you know, some tracking of my bands and recording, you know, different stuff for us. And then, you know, the projects and then mixing, of course, them and all that. But um, I did the other stuff. Part of it was for my my own interest of my own music and bands that I was involved with. And then uh, mastering is something that I, gravitated to and and i wanted to continue and i kept doing that on a smaller scale while i was doing broadcasting which was paying me most of the bills and and in time the mastering was adding more more to my day-to-day um and to my uh income professionally Mm -hmm. like it was so you know, from broadcasting, that was the main thing. Mastering started to add and add and add, and it became bigger and bigger. And of course, later on, I just moved to that. Um, on the way, I had to do other stuff too. Not exactly. Well, some of it was for the paycheck, if you want to call it, and some of it was to expand my knowledge. And then, with the expansion of the knowledge, then it was also clearer where i want to go to what i want to do that makes sense i think of it as focal point for sure well i like how you put it that like with all of that experience in djing and doing the um the media side of it and and all the broadcasting and everything like it kind of makes sense that mastering would maybe come natural to you because you you already had a sense of what the final product was and like you said the impact that it can make and you're already so so deep in the in absorbing like the the final quality of a of a song and and you know really understanding what that final vision should look like so you know getting into mastering that's all that's really what it comes down to is like making it get to that finish line and giving it that sweetened polished sound so um you know it seems like 
that would be a natural thing for for someone of your position. And obviously, like you said, if you're if you're going back a step and getting into the mixing and the recording side of things, too, then you're also under, understanding the process all the way through and really seeing you know how to how to make it sound great right from the source and not just at the ending. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, in mastering, we don't have much control on what comes in. Uh, what we can do is if there are issues that we can address by talking to the mixing engineer and having him fix it, then we get something better to work with. In some cases, we can't do that either. There's no communication or that mix was an old mix and they can't revise it. Um, sometimes they don't want because the artist is very attached to it as is. Um, sometimes the gear is not available. So, um, you know, the first thing you do is you listen to it, see if you can fix it or work with it, or sometimes it doesn't need any fixing. Sometimes it's really good uh, and only need enhancements. But if there is any issues that are hard to address without sacrificing it in a bad way, then you approach the, the people involved and see what's possible. At the end of the day, you, you want to make the listener enjoy the track as much as possible and you want to make the artist producer whoever's involved to be happy with it and and feel that it brought something to the table that they they needed um it could be minimal it could be more than that mm -hmm. um sometimes it's enough to be a three percent and that makes it feel better yeah and sometimes it's like 20 percent, 30 percent, and there are times where you help the mixer adjust the mix and now although you're not mixing it but you're giving him mixing tips or suggestions on how to improve it and then you're getting a better product in and your involvement at that point was bigger in terms of the percentage of effect for sure yeah it's just adding more value to the process that you know the more yes. the more you can keep those lines of communication open and the more you can suggest things that ultimately in the end make the product sound way better then that's that's why people are hiring you yeah yeah, sometimes you go above and beyond what's needed in order to improve the project. It's not reflecting on the outside, like how people perceive your work, because they don't know what you added. But if you helped it come in better to you, you're going to have a easier time working on it to achieve a better result, which will reflect as a better sounding master too. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the real strengths of hiring a mastering engineer is that like if you find a good mastering engineer like yourself who is willing to work with the mixing engineer and the artist and and really kind of suggest those things that are necessary to make the mastering process easier and better, like it's it's good to have someone in that position and it's good to build relationships with mastering engineers that way. Like rather than just like shopping around and constantly trying to find new engineers, it's like, it's great to have someone that you know you can trust and, and whose advice you you trust and, and someone who's willing to provide that feedback for you. So, you know, for anyone who's listening to this and trying to find a mastering engineer, like look for someone who's willing to give you that feedback. Cause there are some people that don't. And to me like that, that's a shame because it, it's just not helping the product at all, you know, not helping the final results. Well, you know, this is a topic that, a lot of times I see people debating, you know, are you being intrusive by saying what you think that can be better or not? Some mastering engineers will say, look, I take it as is, I respect it as is, and if that's how they want it, this is I'm gonna, how I'm going to work with it. There's others who are going to be saying, oh, we got to fix this and fix that. 
I sit on the line that's in between and not because I'm trying to be on the fence. It's more about if I see that there is a potential to fix something, I'll talk with the people. If not, I'll leave it as is. And and it's a fine line. And sometimes when you step there, it makes people take a step back and maybe, oh, we don't want to deal with that. And sometimes they do. You never know who's your client for real during the project until certain things uh, are happening, you know, and, and and that's where it's a tricky subject because, you know, as long as there's no problems and you're doing a good job, there's no problems. But if there's <laughs> problems, how do you deal with that? You know, you are risking your, your work on it because if they don't like what they're hearing, they might decide to go somewhere else. And that happens. Uh, so I can understand why a lot of mastering engineers won't say anything because they say if it came to me this way out of respect i won't say anything and i don't want to you know insult or offend or um or say something that they won't like to hear and move on and and that can happen a lot you know so it's always walking on eggs it could be walking on a landmine too and (laughs) and you never know um I try to be helpful to my clients. I try to help them achieve better results from the get-go. You know, if I can tell them do this and this and this, it will make it way better. And they do it, and, and it sounds way better. Hopefully, they'll appreciate it. But I've, I've came across situations where I would suggest something to a mixing guy, and he couldn't understand why what I said actually worked. And he didn't want to work with me anymore. And it's because I was helping him get a better result, which he didn't understand how it can happen. And it, it, it offended him. Of course, it's rare I get these people, but it was enough to get a person like that to understand that that thing can happen. And, and of course, there were other situations that you know people can misinterpret you know, what you're saying or not try to get to connect with you and understand what can do good and some people are just busy with what they're done and they don't care if it can be better because there's an ego you know and and you deal with all of it you know like to me if somebody will tell me look i'm not happy or or i'm happy but i want to diff uh, something else well tell me that's what we want we want to communicate tell me like what do you like what you don't like like i learned that what someone doesn't like is more important than what they like because what they don't like they know what they like a lot of times they like in other things and or they're not sure that's so true people have people have such a hard time articulating the things that they like but it's so easy for them to be vocal when they don't like something yeah yeah and and i think that that's where a lot of times it's important to make a call and talk about it emails are tricky because they're written. And when you read a written format, it's harder to feel the dynamics of it. It's always feeling like it's straight ahead. Even if you use polite words, it always has like a, a message that is hard to have a, a dynamic movement in it, where a phone conversation is very different because you can pause, you can inject a word, you can uh, say something and see how it's how the feedback is and you get to something with you know it's more it's a two-way street it's a dynamic street even if the guy is like 
totally going on a tangent about something specific, at least you can understand and ask more questions to understand. Absolutely. I, I love that. That's a, such a good point that I think a lot of people need to hear because it's just there's this tendency for people to just want to like hide behind email because it's so easy and convenient. But like sometimes it, it, it really doesn't turn out to be so convenient in the end because you haven't had those lines of communication like you're talking about here. And a simple phone call would just solve things so much faster. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, so on the topic of kind of not really knowing what kind of client you're going to have until you, you make that suggestion, do you do anything before you start a session to kind of feel out if if they're open to open to, to constructive criticism with their mixes? Or is that kind of just like only in the moment you kind of feel that out? Well, if a client only reaches by email and they don't want to communicate by phone, then you already know that your line of communication is limited. So you work on the project. If you come across a problem, you can articulate that in an email saying, you know, um, I hear there's a lot of low end that I think is clogging this and this. If you would like to do to clean up the bass guitar or the bass synth, you know, you can articulate that in an email. Of course, you hope that they're open to that. If they're willing to talk on the phone, then and they are communicating with you on the phone, then already you know that there's a place where you guys meet. You know, like not a physical place as a club or a venue, but more of a of like a, a virtual space that there's a communication, that, that a voice communication. And in some cases, I'll ask the client, you know, is this mix coming into me as, a, as is, and I got to work with it as is, no changes, or you're open to feedback. And if they say they're open to feedback, sometimes they actually declare that as like, hey, I'm, I'm actually, I want to hear what you think and if I need to improve it. You know, it's like there's a, a statement up front. And in some case, you got to ask that. And I 100% agree with everything you're talking about here and just ha that importance of those lines of communication and, and trying to establish them early enough so that you know kind of what role your job is in this whole project and, you know, how how communicative you can be and, and, you know, have, have these lines of conversation. So yeah, I definitely love that. Um, I'd love to go back a little bit and you were talking about working with Sylvia Massey and that was one of the things that you're doing early on in your career. And I'm just curious to know, like Sylvia, Sylvia is awesome. I love her. She, she was one of my early guests and she's just fantastic. And you know, she's, she's one of the most creative people I've ever met in the industry. So I'm curious to know what was it like working with her and like, what kind of things were you doing with her? Well, I, I came from a different background and then I landed there. It was a huge studio. It was like uh, four four studios. You know, one was it's a it's a big complex that had a, a Neve in the in a theater and then there was an SSL and then there was a tech matchless and then there was a trident, like different rooms and uh, each room, you know, was occupied by with with you know, different engineers, different gear. And as you said, Sylvia is very creative on the process and she knows how to get those takes from the artist. And you know, that's what makes a great producer. And, and Sylvia is definitely, you know, one, one of the most known, uh, you know, in her field, you know, especially what she's done. And uh, it, it was a very interesting experience because first of all, you know, it, the, there's, uh, I came from a different country, different language, different mentality. So now it's a different mentality and language and, and to see her work with the bands and all the gear, there's a ton of gear and I love the gear. And, uh, so yeah, definitely it was a, it's a very interesting and learning experience. And, um, um, 
I'm very creative in my mastering, so it it, it definitely kind of uh, fit the. Um, I, I'm trying to find the word. It's not like inspirational. It's it's kind of inspirational, but it's more of like it's on that level that you see someone creative, and you're creative, and you feel like, oh, this is interesting. This is you know how this, you know what she does and and how uh, you know i approach things so um definitely this was a good landing point for me you know working for her you know and i was there so many sessions and hours and yeah it was a it was amazing experience very cool well you brought up an interesting point there that like you know sylvia is obviously like she's so creative and she does so many like really non-traditional techniques in her productions and i'm curious to know like has any of that passed on to the work you do with mastering and you said you are pretty creative with mastering so i'm assuming would you say that you got that from sylvia well i i always was a mastering engineer that took things sometimes in a in a way in a different way and sometimes like i would choose if i'm intrusive if i'm finesse if i'm a little if i'm more if I'm, sometimes i would reshape things like really big time sometimes i would keep safe you know um of course in time you learn how to do it better and you learn what fits with what but i came to it this way like that was my thing with mastering is i didn't i didn't have mentors in mastering nobody taught me mastering so i had to pave my way learn my way, pay my dues, figure out the things. I didn't have any references because I never worked for a mastering engineer. So I didn't know what's, what is considered sounding good for, for them or, or what environment is the right environment. I didn't even have the, right, the best gear. I didn't have the right gear. I didn't, like everything was very underground and figuring it out and making a ton of mistakes and seeing what worked, what didn't, what stick, what doesn't. So. I was always creative in that form. And so, you know, working for Sylvia was natural for me in terms of someone else is creative and I'm creative. And so it just it just made sense in terms of, oh, okay, I see she's trying this. And because I've done a lot of time, I, I like I've done a lot of masters where I would connect gear that would be like, no, 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 this shouldn't work right. But it did, you know, or... <laughs> weird you put this device and it worked you know so and i've i've mastered lots of record with records with so many different types of gear i own a ton of gear i own even more <laughs> and i'm always listening and trying different things and experimenting with things and trying to make the master sound more interesting more dimensional like more surrounding more embracing i'll test whatever like different cables different clocks different power uh units different tubes like i'll I'll play with it you know what i mean like and and that's what i'm saying the creative side was always there and and because i didn't have any mentors in mastering then i didn't know where to go i just went on a lot of roads together and somehow they led to the same place yeah (laughs) keep doing it (laughs) i love that That, that's such a great outlook on it and uh yeah you know i imagine like having worked for her like i I, just even reading her book like there's so many there's so many different like approaches that she's using there and you know like passing audio through a pickle and stuff like that it's like you know does anyone 
like I don't know anyone else who does it, but you know, for a creative mastering engineer, I'm assuming you've never done that for your masters, I'm sure. But no, we didn't use pickles and I didn't use any <laughs> salads or any other stuff. But I can tell you this a pickle is like a filter. That's when she did, you know, the guitars and all that. So in my mastering world, everything is an EQ and everything is a filter and everything is a like even a compressor is a filter or an EQ. Okay. Any box here or any cable or any converter or, or, or clock or whatever affects the sound. They're all types of filters or EQs. I have different converters because I'll toggle between them to hear which one fits the song better than the other. I might set it up on one converter and then toggle and then find the other converter fits best. To my taste, I'm not using pickles, but I'm 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 being creative on not just choosing one thing, but playing with other things and figuring out what works. Of course, you know, I mean, if if ever I'll need to do something really crazy, I'm open to that. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I, I mean, I love that philosophy of or that outlook on your gear and how every piece does have something to it. You know, and it does affect the sound, whether it is adding its own flavor EQ wise or changing the attack and all that kind of stuff. It, it totally makes sense. So, you know, understanding your gear really, really well is is very important for anyone who's getting into this because because, yeah, you don't just slap on a piece of gear because someone told you it sounds good. It's like you have to understand what it's doing to your gear or what it's sorry, what it's doing to your music and how it's affecting the sound. So, you know, for someone like yourself who has lots of gear like yeah, you have to you have to spend that time to really understand why you're why you have all that gear and what it's good for and when to use it, right? Yeah. If you look at the artistic side of it, like how does it sound, you'll be surprised how small things can make either small differences or big differences, but they affect how you hear it, not just on a tone, but on a feel. And and at the end of the day, you know music has melody rhythm whatever and then but every music has a sound and that's how you feel it okay the only time music doesn't have a sound is it's when it's notated so every musical piece is a sound piece and that affects how you perceive the music as well yeah love that that's awesome so as far as those as far as being creative and mastering and you said that there's there's been some times where you've gone pretty extreme with stuff how do you go about making those creative decisions i guess it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier where you have lines of communication with your clients like when you're when you're being extreme with your mastering are you ever consulting the clients before you do that to be like i think i got this really good idea can i try this or are you just kind of going for it and then seeing what they think good question by the way um I think it's really dependent on the artist. Some artists, they they need it. They need that sound to be extreme. And then you go that route and you give it to them and either they like it or not. Some artists, you got to be very careful and you got to figure out where you're going too much. Uh, even if it sounds good, sometimes it could be alienating what they were doing, especially with legacy artists, which I've done a lot of them. You know, they have a sound, even if they change a bit the sound, they still have something that represents them. And if you can keep that and still move to a new dimension, but still have that 
works great sometimes that dimension is changing too much and then then you're alienating that feel and that's why some remasters don't sound good is because they take you to a different place than what the original version of the song was i to me the ideal remastering situation is when you have the feel of the song but you could extend you the the elements to a point where it's not too much going further um and feeling like it's a total um like over detailed but more of like get the feel and extend what was missing then to make it even better yeah that's that's such an interesting topic because i feel like remastering has got to be a pretty scary thing especially for bigger legacy artists because you know these these records have been out for so long people know them as a certain sound and have experienced those 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 songs and so many elements of their lives for for years and years so to tackle a remaster i i imagine that would be a little intimidating sometimes getting into it it is especially if it's a record you like another thing is if you're doing a comeback record for a band there's some bands i worked with that had haven't done records in a long time when you do a comeback record if that comeback record is a natural progression from where they stopped 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, whatever, then you want to keep that feel going. Even if you're a bit more modern and, you know, 10, 15 years, you want to make sure that the audience that listens to it doesn't think, ah, I like the old sound. You, you <laughs> want to keep that feel where even if they progressed, it, it still resembles them. And then there are situations where the band did a comeback, but moved to a totally different place. And that's also good. Uh, and then you can approach it with new. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's such an interesting topic because, yeah, especially with like those comeback records where people have spent, you know, 10, 15 years or longer between albums, like the technology has changed significantly since then. So, you know, I imagine some of these older legacy acts like that were recording all analog now they're doing all digital recordings and like that and that in itself is going to change the sound. So, you know, there's that fine line of trying to make it sound like the older style, but they're using new technology. And sometimes like that, that new technology might not give you that same result as what they used to use. So there's, there's gotta be like a, a very fine line that you're straddling there. Right. Right. Um, you know, every few years, technology has a kind of a leap in the sound and that's one of the things. The other thing is even if they recorded digital, you know, we're still progressing with the quality. And also there's a different way of consuming things. You know, if if they go for the same route as CDs and vinyl as back then, yeah, then, then the consumption is in that way. But when it's streaming, um, even though you can still do the same thing from CD and, you know, to streaming sometimes the audience changes okay and if you have new audience and they're used to a certain sound now you give them something that is different it's um it's a guessing game to be honest with you like i think that the artists they're doing their art hoping the fans will like it you know they like it but they're hoping the fans will like it and when we are working on something we're doing what we think is right but it's what we think is right. So I think there's a guess 
factor here. You know, we guess it's right. And if it sticks and people dig it, then we guessed right and it worked <laughs> for us. You know, and then people are like, oh man, we love this record, you know? So yeah, yeah. No, that's so that's so interesting. And I I 100% agree that like, yeah, there's there is that element of guessing. And, you know, anytime you bring someone new into a project too, you're adding their creative vision to to the to the whole process as well. So, you know, people are hiring you because they are familiar with a lot of your records and the sound of the stuff that you've worked on. So, you know, people are hoping that they understand what your vision is and how that's going to affect their their music. But you might get the song and have something different in your mind, right? So it's it's such a fascinating topic. You, you can definitely go very deep with that. Very cool. Um, well, we, we were talking a little bit about gear and how you really are very uh, deep with your gear and, and paying attention to all the cool stuff that you've got and how it affects the channels. And at the very beginning, you had mentioned the oven. And I know that that's a, a really cool piece of gear that you've got at your studio. And I was wondering if you could talk about it and the upcoming Plugin Alliance release of it. Sure. So a lot of my gear in the studio is either custom built for me with me, which means I work with a builder designer and we, we work together to build something that will fit my needs in terms of functionality and sonic imprint. So those are the custom custom gears, uh, which I'm part of the design. Then there are gears that were custom modified for me, which means they had their original form and then they had some tweaks done to fit my needs. So those are the custom modified. And then there's um, pieces of gear that are as is, which I like them as is, and I work with them as is. So the ones that are as is, you know, they're top tier mastering stuff. The ones that are tweaked for me with me that are just modified for me, then we test out stuff and we see what sounds cool to to my ears and those in time i learned what i want more from them and then we would tweak or i would change something myself or somebody will work with me on it and then the ones that were custom built and designed with me as a collaboration so i work with a builder designer and we work together that's from scratch. That's from the beginning. We have ideas and we implement them and we do test runs of something we've done. And then if it doesn't sound good, we start from scratch. It takes a while till we find, you know, what we want exactly and how to make it work. And then once we do that, then we start prototyping. And then with the prototyping, there's a lot of back and forth to make sure it's exactly what we want or we need to tweak it. So it's a whole process. And um, I have quite a lot of custom built and designed gear that's with me and a builder. Most of it is only for me, but uh, I have a collaboration with the company Handy Amps where we collaborate on a specific line of products. So Handy Amps have their own line of products that, you know, compressors, EQs, preamps, and one watt, two power amplifiers and and, and solid state amplifiers. And then we have a collaboration uh, line that's called the oven line, which there's the oven, there's the stove, there's the toaster, and there's a few other. Um, the oven and the stove, they're stereo processing units that have like Mojo box 
type. So they have coloration, saturation, tone shaping, like EQing in them. Uh, and you can combine all of them and they change based on how you push one knob into the other. And so they're very reactive. Uh, the oven is very thick and round and big sounding. The stove is very tight and clean and kind of uh, uh, punchy, more punchy, tight. Um, the stove is coming out soon. It's already finished after prototyping and there are people who, who own a stove, but we haven't posted about it much and haven't put it on the website, but we'll do that soon. So maybe by the time this podcast will be out, the stove page will be out. But So just to, just to uh, clarify for people, so a lot of this gear you're building as analog gear, but now there are plug-in equivalents of this out or, or about to come out. Not yet. So okay. a lot of this stuff, like the stove is, there's no plug-in yet. The toaster's going to be out soon. That's a mono-channel strip, uh, a high-voltage solid state with a two-buffer and an optical compressor and an EQ. That's not yet out, will be out. The only one that's out now is the oven, which has been out for a while. And that's a hardware um, and we signed with Brainworks and Plugin Alliance to release a plugin version of it. So we had to work with them to make sure we can translate this to plugin world because even if you model hardware, there's limitations of how much hardware will work the same in plugin domain. There are certain things that work as a reaction to other gear. There are certain things that an actual box sounds in a certain way. So when you move to plugin world, some stuff has to be adjusted to fit that. You know, there's different calibrations to work in, um, different functions to make sure that if someone puts it on a mix bus or a drum bus or anything like that, they don't have to make too many changes to the benefit of it. Um, so there's a lot of work to do, and it takes a while to actually model it, and especially because this is something that was never done before. It's this specific unit. It's not something that had a legacy prior to it that you can compare in different clones or versions or even other plugins in the market that sound that are of the same unit. So you can compare. This is fresh, new. There's no plugin of that yet. And there and and there are not many units out there anyway. So it took a while to really hone it and make sure when you press, you know bypass unbypass and you move the knobs you're like oh wow this is really cool what it can do because it can it can go from really really subtle to really aggressive maybe not horrible aggressive but very aggressive and and, and of course when i say horrible i mean yeah you can you can distort it you can make it sound crappy but when i say not horrible i mean like it's useful you can find you can find the sweet spot that will be useful for, for you it's not like the knob sits in one sweet spot and you move it a bit. Now everything's crappy. It has a range. You can go really, really subtle and add a tad. You can add a bit more and then you can go aggressive and you can crap the hell out of it, of course, which maybe is not useful for most cases, but you can, you might find a reason to do that for a certain effect. If you want, it has, it has a big range and lots of verse you know the, the the flexibility factor here is huge and it's very versatile because you can use it on so many different styles of music or instruments or mix bus or master bus whatever you want to use it on very cool 
So, so yeah, is that how you see people using this as primarily a mastering tool and and just using it on like a mastering bus? Or do you think people will will find uses for it on specific instruments as well? No, this is all around. This is what I call a mastering grade production tool. You can use it on anything you want and you can achieve great results with it because it's it's subtle enough to be on a master bus but you can go aggressive with it and you can go on any instruments from drums bass vocals guitar synths 808s um you know uh drum bus guitar bus mix bus mastering bus you you can use it on everything for real like i'm not just saying that you can actually find a use for it on everything but like i said it's done so well that it can be subtle enough for a mastering situations or mix bus, but you can just crank it hard if you want. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I love that. I'm looking forward to checking it out once it comes out. It definitely, uh, do, do you have a date for that yet? Or Because I don't work for the company itself, I don't know the Fair, release okay. dates, but I know it's Q3. So it's probably not too far from now, maybe... I don't know when, but uh, but I can tell you from the testing of it, it's really good. Like I'm, I'm very happy with it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, before we started, like I, I was saying that uh, I got an email yesterday from Plugin Alliance talking about the new 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 plugins that were coming out, and that was one of them. So uh, yeah, very excited to see that coming out shortly. Um, yeah. So so I mean, we've covered a lot about your gear and your past and all that, and I'd love to know with with all of this like creative approach to your mastering and, and understanding all the equipment and stuff like that. How do you start a, a mastering, a mastering gig? Like what's your mindset going into it? Because you have all of these tools available. So do you ever feel like it's overwhelming to, to get started or do you like, wh- what's your normal thought process going into it? Well, first of all, you, you got to listen to the music, you know, like, and a lot of clues are there, you know, you listen to the music and then you can try things out and some stuff will work some stuff won't but first thing is just listen to the music you know see what's good and what's missing and what's not needing to touch much you know like you 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 kind of have to analyze it quite fast and then you're trying different things and when you're trying some stuff you know for sure it's not going to work and some stuff you try and figure out it doesn't work or it does work but i think there's clues in what you get so when you listen to it, you don't need to analyze frequency-wise first. You need to more listen to, do I get enough impact from it? Or is there something cluttering it? Is there some, some mud or, or, or harshness? Or, but not specific frequency, just to feel it, you know? Because sometimes you'll fix a frequency in there, and that frequency you fixed, now it makes it feel either dull or not energetic and and that's a fine line some problems you want to keep because they have the energy and some problems you want to fix so um you kind of analyze it quick and then another thing that i learned is even from hearing it not always you know how it's going to respond because some stuff might sound good but once you start applying limiters on it or other processing it will start sounding weird or or triggering the limiters too much because maybe there's a, some sub frequencies there you're not hearing or it makes a unit start to sound weird 
because there's certain frequencies that are triggering something there too. So even even when you listen the first time with no gear or no processing involved, even if it sounds right, it might change when you, once you start processing it. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I love the way you describe that of how you're analyzing your tracks, because I think that's one of the, the things a lot of people don't quite understand about mastering is like a lot of people don't know really what to expect from it. And I think by talking about the energy and like what's being muddy and or what's causing the mud and all that kind of stuff, like those are the elements that really you need to look into to, to make sure that you're getting the clearest master, right? Well, it, it, I have to say clearest is not always what the result is needing. Like sometimes detail can uh, change a perception of it and actually sound less good. I don't think that the ideal master is, it has to be detailed and bright and this and this. The, the ideal master is what makes the song feel closer to the intention of the song or what connects more of the listener with that song. And it doesn't have to be a set of rules that are technical. Like there's no dB number or frequency and DB number to be of of that criteria. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do agree with that for sure. Like, I think uh, a lot of people do tend to sweat those small details of, you know, what what number or what level does it need to be and that kind of thing. And it, it distracts from really the 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 bigger picture of what it should sound like and, and how it affects the listener, because that's that's ultimately what we're after. Nobody cares about what level the, the things that they'll turn up their they'll turn up their speakers happily if it's a good song, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So then as far as your uh, signal chain when you're mastering, do you have a typical signal chain that you like to use? Well, I, like I mentioned before, I have different DAs. Uh, so I monitor, well, not monitor, I pitch from different DAs. And then I have different A to Ds. And I can, just by changing them, you're already changing the color of the sound and how things are you know, coming into you if they're super detailed or smoothed or if it's emphasizing certain elements. And then um, I have my insert console has different chains on each insert. So I can put insert one and then I have like three devices. Insert two, I have two. Insert three, I have the, you know, so each one has a different setup and I can combine them two in a row. So I'll just play around with what really works for me. And, you know, if the client says they didn't like it, then we can go back and make changes. Yeah. With those different chains that you have, are those kind of already pre-set up to some degree? Or is it just you kind of customize each chain based on what you think? I customized each chain that it can work together. So either each chain can work on its own in terms of each element of the chain. Let's say you have three devices in the chain. They can each work on their own or they can work good combined. So each chain is a combination of things that give me different tones, but also can can work together and complement each other. So they're not they're not working against themselves. So you, you know what I mean. So I can I I have I have the variety. I can go like oh device A, device B. You know what device A and B. <laughs> it, so so they're, they're, the chains are customized to give me those more those options. Very cool. Very cool. So then how long does it typically take you to master a track? Tough question. I don't know. Depends on what I'm getting and 
how I'm dealing with it. And sometimes I have to bring it back to the mixer to fix it. And that's time that's already lost, just trying to work it. Then you wait for the new one. But in some cases, you get it quick. In some cases, it's really good, but you don't want to ruin it. So that also can take time figuring out what enhances it without ruining it. There's no set time. I've, I've worked sometimes on one track a long time, sometimes short. I don't know. Uh, I prefer not gauging it because then I'll limit myself to how much I need to spend on each one, which I don't think is good for me because if I need more, I'll put more. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, you're, yeah, your job is to just make it sound as good as you can. And however long that takes you, you, you have to do that. So, yeah, there's no time limit with it, really. So how do you know then, and I think I know what your answer is going to be, because I think you've kind of hinted at this already, but like, how do you know when you're done mastering a song? Oh, I love that question. That, that's one of those questions that uh, when I have to answer it, I just say, I hope I got it right. You know, like, <laughs> or, or I think I'm there. You know, I mean, like, look, how do, how do you know when you finish doing something that is not gauged by time like how do you know when you finished writing the song you know maybe how how when did you finish your work if you have like a nine to five and you know you're ending at five right but when you have creative decisions and ideas and when when you're working on something artistic how do you know when you're when you're finished well i guess you feel it and then hopefully that resonates with the client now if it does great if it doesn't, then you know you need to go back and now figure out what resonates with them. That can take time too. Yeah, of course. So. Yeah, it, it, it's such a tricky thing because you're right. Like you're always kind of just hoping that it, it's right and that it sounds good. And I and I think sometimes like it's so easy to get in your head about the quality of your own work. And for a lot of people, that can be a spot where they just freeze and they maybe don't make any progress because they're just stuck in that like self-doubt mode. Right. And, um, you know, that happens, that happens at, you know, from this podcast, I've heard so many people say that this happens to them at all sorts of levels of their career, you know, whether you're just getting started or whether you've been at this for a while, there's always still that, that fear of like, what if I messed up? You know? So it's, 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 it's very interesting. I find talking to people about that. Um, I'm curious to know, like, was there a certain point in your career where you felt like you started making good masters and you were like, I know that I should be like, I know I'm good at this. Or maybe it was early in the, in your earlier stages where you're like, I'm good at this enough that I should make a career out of this. I think like any artistic and technical profession, especially when you're serving other people, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be times where you mess up and, you need to learn from each situation. From the good, you need to learn, and from the bad. You probably need to learn more from the bad because you want to avoid repeating those situations, and, and they will repeat themselves in certain ways, so you want to minimize that. And then on the good ones, you want to learn from that, like what resonates with that client specifically or, you know, um, you probably gain better perspective as you do more of it, okay? And the more you do, you figure out what more people like. It doesn't mean you're going to nail it out every time, 
Okay. There are, and there's always kind of a inside fear, which some will admit some won't and, or some will just feel less of it. So they're not really feeling it much and they're approached by it. But, you know, we, we want to make sure we're doing our job good and, and what we're doing gets people excited. You have to come to it with, with passion and drive and know that even if it's messing up, you want to make it work. You want to fix it. Um, there are times where things don't work out. Either you, you want to improve on that and make it better, or sometimes you're tired of the project and you don't want to do it because people are behaving bad on or, or just crappy sounding and there's a limit to what you know how to do with it. And there's so many situations, you know, when you're dealing with people, sometimes you just don't want to be involved because the way it, it's going or there's no future in it or, and, and in other cases, you know, you really want to be involved with it because it's great music that you just enjoy working on or or it's cool to be part of something or or even you worked with this band a lot of times before and you're continuing your your uh, legacy with them and you you get excited from that um or you're working on something that really challenges you and you know that if you do this and you do it right you're going to get somewhere from it either you're going to get hired more by them or hired by other people who who would love that you know the, the the result that you have achieved with this it's it's a never know and you also never know how much that project is going to impact you like i worked with some artists that were huge and it didn't do anything to my career in terms getting me more records it it maybe showed people that i was uh doing these records but i wouldn't get calls from them and then there's records that were smaller and they actually got me a lot of gigs, you know. And there's records that were legacy, and there was a, a lot of um, weight for it. And, you know, people were, like, expecting. And, and then when it came out, it just, wow, people were so excited. And that also got me a lot. So you really never know which, which project is going to land you your next gigs. And sometimes it's a small project that just has a lot of following uh, or or people just digged it and they're like, wow, this is cool. And sometimes it's a big project. Uh, let's say this, there are projects that might not do much, but they still pay the bills, right? And And that can help you buy more gear. It can help you keep the light on, the food on the table, you know? So, you know, it's yeah. not bad taking them. You know, sure. Um, but to your point there, it's like every project you have to treat as equal because you don't know the effect of that or the impact of that album until it's out in the wild. And then, like you said, it could surprise you and, you know, be the one album that maybe you didn't expect to be the most beneficial to your career. But then it is, you know, so you, you definitely have to treat things very like equal and passionately, um, seriously, as far as the technical stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's a really important thing for people to to realize, like, you know, don't half ass projects just because you don't think it's going to do anything for you. Just like take every project seriously. And, and sometimes it'll surprise you with what that can bring to you. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes the person involved in that projects really appreciated your work. And they'll bring you a friend. OK, and, and they will hire you again. And, and 
and they'll appreciate the work that they'll be, you know, wanting you to succeed more by, you know, they take it on a personal level. This guy helped me get these results. I'm going to send him all my friends. I'm going to talk about him online. You never know. It's, 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 it's a service Absolutely. thing, you know, and if we have, if we bring good service, it can bring us good clients too. Love that. That's a, that's a, that's a great, I think that's a great spot to start to wrap up here. Um, so, you know, first off, thank you for, for taking the time to do this and, and all of the advice that you've given here, I think is so important for people to hear. And, and there's a lot of great stuff people can take from this. If people want to learn more about you and your services and maybe even work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, um, I have a website. It's www.maorappelbaum.com or applebaum.com. I have a few Facebooks, so I could be found on Facebooks, you know, Maor Applebaum, M-A-O-R-A-P-P-E-L-B-A-U-M. Uh, they can get in touch with me um, through those channels. Um, uh, they can get in touch with you and you can give them my info as well. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. Well, well, Maor, thank you so much again for, for taking the time to do this. It, it's been awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed your questions. and. Um, it 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 was really fun doing this podcast with you, and um, uh, sorry for telling people to get in touch with you to get in touch with me. <laughs> it's I, all good. I just had to make it funny. It, it's all. It kind of reminds me of like back in the day. I used to tour manage bands, and uh, one of the one of the first bands I tour managed, they did without telling me. Whenever they met a girl on the road, they would always give the girl my number so that if they were crazy, they would be dealing with me and not the band. And so <laughs> it's just like, just an extension of that. I love it. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, yeah. Well, um, I think it's great that you're doing this podcast and a lot of people can benefit from it. And um, you're bringing great guests from what I understand. So basically you're, you're, you're giving, you're, you're giving an opportunity for people to drop knowledge to the listeners. And, uh, and that's very important because at the end of the day, we're a big community that's really small. There's a lot of people in this community, but it's a small community if you compare it to other types of communities. Of course. And, and um, we all want to, to do music or work on music. <clears throat> we want to get appreciated for what we're doing. We want to be challenged so we can get better. And hopefully we can get paid and make a living out of it or at least uh, add on to our pay you know or or even if we're not getting paid we want to get better doing this because it fulfills us so that was Maor Applebaum and that was a really fun conversation I hope that you enjoyed that and I just thought it was really interesting and I thought he brought up a lot of really interesting topics uh, I love getting into the topic of remastering records and you know preserving the integrity of an artist when they're using new technologies and that kind of thing. I thought that was a really uh, interesting conversation that we don't get to talk about too much, uh, especially on this podcast. I don't think we've chatted about it before. So really fun to get into that. And it was also really cool to hear about his process of building gear and how he has modeled that into plugins that are now going to be available, or at least shortly they will be available so that you can uh, use these from home and get a little flavor of some of the cool stuff that he's working on. So definitely make sure to keep an eye out on the Plugin Alliance plugins when they come out and uh, definitely try them out in your own mixes. So 
that was a lot of fun. I hope that you enjoyed that. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live. And definitely make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is where I help out musicians with creating pro-sounding recordings from their home studios. And on the website, you definitely want to check out the Mixing Mindset book if you haven't already. That is a book where I break down the process of mixing step-by-step so that you know exactly what steps to take, what order to work in, what to be listening for, how to dial in your settings, so that you can feel confident throughout the entire process. So definitely check that out. It's called The Mixing Mindset, and that's available at MasterYourMix.com. And that is it for this episode. So once again, thank you so much for sticking around to the very end, and I look forward to chatting with you in the next one. Take care. Later. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com. Thanks.